Awesome. Awesome. What a great, what a great start to our service. Welcome, uh, if you're visiting with us here at, at Daybreak. Uh, there's a couple things that we need to do just to start off. The very first one is, and you will not believe this, John and Charlotte celebrated their 50th, that's right, 50th anniversary on Friday. I only thought it was 40, but 50 is amazing. That's awesome. So they went to Canmore, celebrated. That's where you got engaged, right? Wow. Wow. To think I'm 50. Uh, all right. Ah, uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, too funny. Um, Alpha starts this Wednesday. And the great thing with Alpha is, uh, at different points in, in history of the church, there's things that are used by God to accomplish his purposes. And Alpha is one of those. And it's not about the, the program. The program is great, but it's not about the program. It's the opportunity to study kind of the basics of your faith. And so many times, a lot of us come to church, we attend church, we kind of do the routine of church, and we're like, man, they talk about the Holy Spirit and I really don't understand it. Or they talk about God is love and I, I don't necessarily know what that means. They throw these words like discipleship around and what does that even mean? And so what Alpha is, is it's going to be like a, a eight, ten week journey just looking at the basics of, of our faith. So for some of you, you've been a Christ follower for 20, 30, 40 years. This is a great opportunity for you to come back and kind of go, all right, I'm going to learn it again. <laughs> for some of you, you've attended that long and you're like, I still don't understand pieces of it. Uh, if you have family members, friends, neighbors, say, why don't you come with me to church on Wednesday uh, it's done by video. The really cool thing with Alpha is there's always a meal to start. So like you don't have to cook on Wednesdays for the next while. And just come and be in community with one another and learn about the, the basics of our faith. It's a great opportunity for you to, to realign. Uh, some of us come from traditions where like in grade five, six, you had something called confirmation. <laughs> which was all about, like, let's learn the tenets of our faith. Kind of the, the, the Baptist tradition or many of our, our mainline traditions, we don't have that, and so we just kind of glaze past it. The, the interesting thing in my life is my parents uh, accepted Christ uh, at the same— as a family, we accepted Christ at the same point in our, in our journey. My parents uh, were in their 30s. I was six years old. Back in the day where you gathered around the speakerphone to, to, again, and everybody, you had about five minutes to talk to your relatives. We moved from Ontario. And so you gathered around the speakerphone. My grandpa, his voice shaking on the phone said, everybody be quiet. I got something to tell you. I found Jesus. And my grandpa was a really tough man, like a really rough man. And over the phone, the speakerphone, crackling as it was, paying $2 a minute or whatever it was, we instantly went to church on Sunday. And my parents started that faith journey, and they threw me into a Christian school simply because they were like, 
we don't know anything about this Jesus thing, so we need somebody to help us teach Matt about, about Jesus. That's what Alpha will do for you, uh, is, is teach you about Jesus. So I would love to see many of us attend. It's probably something that's going to be a regular occurrence around here as we look at our neighbors and go, we need to have a, a posture wherever our neighbors are in equipping them to fall in love with Jesus. So sound good? Sound good? Wednesday meal, six o'clock. Nancy, is it six o'clock? Six o'clock? Six o'clock. Perfect. The uh, plus 55s are doing something on Saturday and Sunday. Maybe Friday. We're trying to convince them to do something on Friday. Maybe an all-nighter on Friday. Just kidding. <laughs> all right. Love is our job, okay? Love is our job. Love is our occupation. Here's what John chapter 11, verse 35 says. John eleven thirty five says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So today, as we went on this journey of love is a four-letter word, we're going to zero in on something that's incredibly practical. And this practicality is around this theme of compassion. I want to encourage you, a few summers ago, what I did in the summer was just study all the different ways that compassion is used in the Bible. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Just, you could easily just Google it and go, compassion, it's going to show you all these different places that it's used. You'll see all kinds of things about compassion. And usually compassion is attached to Jesus, and, and, and the interesting thing with compassion is our compassion here on earth usually involves comparison, and then we move to compassion. So first I do this. I go, oh, thank God I'm not like Glenn. Now I'll go care for Glenn. <laughs> and, and so my compassion is always limited because I'm evaluating myself against my perception of what has happened in Glenn's life compared to who I really am. Compassion, as, as we'll look at, is something that really we need to, to capture here at, at Daybreak. I, I want you to think for a second, maybe use your imagination, maybe dream a little bit, stay awake, but you know that feeling when you rode a roller coaster? That feeling in your stomach when the, the big drop was, was going to happen? It, it's the same feeling that you get when you hear terrible news. It's the same feeling that you get when something doesn't go according to, to, to plan. Your stomach feels like it's in knots, you, you, like it's been kicked in. The, the New Testament actually has a word for that, and the Greek word for that feeling is this, splachana, splachana. It literally means this. The splachina actually really means this. It means you're down in your bowels or your guts. But it's also translated as compassion. Now, the interesting thing with that splachina, splachina, is the only time that word is used is it's actually attached to Jesus. It says that Jesus felt that same way when he encountered the sick in Matthew 14. 
Jesus felt the same way when he encountered the blind man in Matthew 20. Jesus felt the same way when he encountered the demon possessed in Mark chapter 9 or those that he loved in Luke chapter 7 or those who were hungry in Matthew 15 or the lonely in Mark chapter 1 or the bewildered in Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 9. Now, that word, that that compassion that's deep down inside of us, the word that we have, the compassion word that we use in our world in 2022, actually comes from two Latin words, the calm and the passia. It literally means to suffer with others. You see, some in our church are, are gifted in praying. Some in our church are are gifted in sharing their faith. And we know as we read Scripture that all of us, all of our responsibility is to pray and share, whether we're gifted or not. But the same thing goes with compassion. You and I are all meant to cultivate compassion. So how do we actually do that? How do we become more compassionate people? Well, here's the very first one. The very first thing that we need to do is we need to see people with the eyes that Jesus has. See people with Jesus' eyes. We need to see what he saw. Listen to, to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compare that or put that right beside what we read in the Old Testament with 1 Samuel 16, 7 where it says, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, God, always looks at the heart. Let's be honest here. You and I are so tempted always to look at the outward appearance. We judge people or we compare people by their looks. It starts early in life. It's when you or your child looks at you and says, Am I pretty? Uh, Let me read to you a little story. It's from 1965 that really shows the importance of of seeing with Jesus' eyes. It says this, the story, our house was directly across the street from the clinic entrance of John Hopkins in Baltimore. We lived downstairs. We rented the upstairs room to outpatients at the clinic. One summer evening, as I was fixing supper, there was a knock at the door. I opened it to see a truly awful looking man. Why, he's hardly taller than my eight-year-old boy, I thought as I stared at the stooped, shriveled body. But the appalling thing was his face. His face was lopsided from swelling. It was red and it was raw, yet his voice was pleasant as he said, Good evening, I've come to see if you're... If you have a room for just one night, I came for treatment this morning from the eastern shore and there's no bus till the morning. He told me that he'd been hunting for a room since noon, but no success. No one seemed to have a room. I guess it's my face. I know it looks terrible, but my doctor says just a few more treatments. For a moment I hesitated, but his next words convicted me. 
I could sleep in this rocking chair on the porch. My bus leaves in the early, my bus leaves early in the morning. I told him we need to find you a bed. Just rest on the porch. I went inside. I finished getting supper. When we were ready, I asked the old man if he would join us. No, thank you. I have plenty. And he held up a brown paper bag. When I had finished the dishes, I went onto the porch to talk with him for a few minutes. It didn't take long for me to see that this old man had an oversized heart crowded into a tiny body. He told me he fished for a living to support his daughter, his, her five children and her husband, who was hopelessly crippled from a back injury. He didn't tell it by the way of a complaint. In fact, every other sentence was prefaced with, thanks be to God for such a blessing. When I got up that morning, the bed linens were neatly folded and the little man was out on the porch. He refused breakfast. But he asked a great favor of me. Could I come back the next time that I have treatment? I won't put you out of bed. I can sleep fine in a chair. He paused for a moment and then added, your children made me feel at home. Grown-ups are bothered by my face, but children don't seem to mind. I told him he was welcome again. As a gift, the next time he showed up, he brought a big fish, a cord of uh, uh, large oysters. He had them shucked the morning before he left so that they'd be nice and fresh. I knew his bus left at 4 a.m. And I wondered what time he had to get up in order to do this. When I received the little remembrance uh, from each trip that he made, I often thought of a comment our next-door neighbor made after he left the first night. Did that awful-looking man stay here last night? I mean, I turned him away. You can lose rumors by putting up with such people. Maybe we did lose people staying If only they had known him, perhaps their illness would have been easier to bear. I know our family will always be grateful to have known him, for we learned what it was to accept the bad without complaint and the good with gratitude to God. The story goes on to say, Recently I was visiting a friend who has a greenhouse. As she showed me her flowers, we came to one of the most beautiful of them all. It was bursting with blooms. But to my surprise, it was in a rusty old dented bucket. I thought to myself, with all this beauty, if I were this plant, I would have put it in the best container I had. My friend changed my mind. She said I actually ran short of of pots. And knowing how beautiful this one would be, I thought it wouldn't mind starting out in this Rusty old pail. It's just for a little while till I can put it in my garden. Here's the cool thing with those stories. God might have said that when he came to the soul of the sweet old fisherman. He won't mind starting in this small body. But now in God's garden, how tall the lovely must stand. So friends, what do you see with your eyes? You see, you can't really love others if you don't have compassion for others. You really don't see anything. 
But the, the second way to cultivate compassion is actually to touch people where they hurt. To feel what he felt. Mark chapter 1, always use your imagination when we come into Scripture. See the man, a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. God, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Look at this, filled with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing of this healing is how Jesus did it. Jesus touched him. Even if this man hadn't been healed physically, this man began to be healed emotionally. You see, physical leprosy, the the patients don't feel any pain. But they suffer as much as anyone. Almost all the pain that a person with leprosy has comes from the outside. The pain of rejection. They are rejected because they're contagious. Their body is rotting. They smell. They are deformed. They're forced to live outside the city. They must keep a six-foot distance, interesting, from anyone. Even their spouse and children. They know great loneliness. Philip Yancey says this, there's a story of a, a doctor named Dr. Paul Brand who has devoted his life to healing patients with leprosy in India. In the course of one explanation, uh, oh, sorry, in the course of one examination, Braid, Dr. Brand, sorry, laid his hand on the patient's shoulder and informed him, uh, informed the, the patient through a translator what would lay ahead? What would be the recovery for this man? To the surprise, this man began to shake with muffled sobs. The doctor asked, have I said something wrong? The translator asked the patient and reported, no doctor, he is crying because you put his hand, you put your hand on his shoulder. Until he came here, no one has touched him for many years. Mother Teresa said this, friends, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy. But these drugs do not treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. That's what my sisters hope to provide. The sick and poor suffer even more than rejection, uh, suffer even more from rejection than material want. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty in this world. Friends, who have you touched this week? Have you put up fences or taken down fences this week? What are you trying to protect yourself from? See, the the third way to cultivate compassion is to serve Jesus by serving those in need. Listen to this long story from Matthew chapter 25. It says it most beautifully from Scripture. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Look at this verse. Then the King will say to the one on the right, Come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, who looks a lot like Matt, will answer him, Lord, when did we feed you? Or thirsty? Or when did we give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or we needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Keep reading. Then he will say to the left, depart from me. You who are cursed, for I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. Lord, when did we see you with all these things? Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Have you ever thought that you did the right thing, but it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would? See, in in my life, I'm realizing that I need to discern how to help, but not whom to help. Let me say that again. In my life, at 50 years old, I am realizing that I need to discern how to help, not who to help. I want to err on the side of helping someone who is ungrateful than to pass up the opportunity to help someone who is less fortunate. See, I I think Jesus feels about us the way we feel about our kids. The quickest way to my heart is not to to treat me well, but to treat my children well. The quickest way to hurt me is to hurt my children. I want to warm Christ's heart by serving His children. See, Jesus more than identified with the outcast. Jesus was an outcast. He was conceived out of wedlock in a culture that disdained that. He was homeless and hungry. What would happen if we saw that by serving others, we were serving Jesus? Now, I would love to say compassion is something that you can catch. But compassion is something that you can learn and work on. You have to. This is something that you got to commit to in your life. Matthew 9, verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He taught in their synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and he healed every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples... The harvest field is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask of the Lord to send out workers into his harvest field. 
Jesus experienced compassion for people who he described with two pictures. A flock of neglected sheep and a harvest that was going to waste. Both images applied the plight of the people, but they neglect uh, on the part of the religious people. Jesus then gives us an answer. Pray. Go back to that passage of Scripture in Matthew 9, verse 38. Ask. Pray that the Lord would send out workers. Do you truly see the spiritual condition of the people around you daily? Do you have compassion for those people? How strongly are you actually moved with compassion? Have you prayed regularly for workers to be sent out? Those who genuinely and regularly pray for workers find themselves also being thrust into the harvest. I've often wondered why Jesus, on the occasion described in Matthew chapter 9, said nothing about witnessing to the lost. Now this is matology. Don't put it in your notes. Prayer must always precede activity. Let me say it again. Prayer must always precede activity. Efforts. Your effort. My best effort that's not grounded in compassion and complete submission to the Lord's mission are always doomed to fail. When we care enough to pray, we will be empowered enough by the Holy Spirit to start working, witnessing, and giving. The starting point is prayer. Let us therefore begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Friends, let's be that kind of church. Let me pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to share about compassion. God, so often it is so easy for me just to be somebody who compares and then I get around to compassion after I've compared myself and elevated myself against someone. God, may daybreak be known as a compassionate church. God, we want to commit to prayer that we would be able to see the harvest We pray for workers to send out in the fields, including ourselves. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you use me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. One of the cool things that we get to do uh, at this point in the service, and we don't do it every service, this is just our opportunity to celebrate communion. So grab your communion elements. I I want you to imagine a, I'll come down here. I I want you to imagine a table. Now, some of us have the table that has that image. Maybe we've seen a picture of it and they're all behind. It's like a perfect picture where they're all behind the table. The table for the disciples would have been an opportunity for them to debrief what happened in the day. Remember, Jesus a lot of times sent them out two by two. And they would come back to the table at the end of the night hoping that somebody that they met would actually provide food for them. Because remember, Jesus said, don't take anything along on this journey. I would have had like the picnic basket always ready just in case Jesus didn't provide. 
And so the the disciples would have somebody who would care for them. And the, the thing with the table is they would talk about the day and they would talk about the miraculous things that Jesus did. Like, can you believe that this happened? <laughs> They'd also share about some of their failures. There was great failures by the disciples. Like when the, the guy who was demon-possessed, the father who had the son who was demon-possessed, came to the disciples and they couldn't do it. And then he came to Jesus and said, well, your guys there didn't know how to do it. And Jesus was like, well, you can't do it in your own strength. You have to do it according to the Holy Spirit. And so the table for them was a familiar thing. It wasn't foreign to them. It wasn't like, oh, this is the time where Jesus is preparing to die. Now we have to pull out the table. The table would have been a regular occurrence for them. But today was different. Because the table was coming to be the fulfillment of what the gospel's all about. That God had a will, God had a way, and his solution was Jesus to restore us. Now, the table today at daybreak, if you're visiting with us, you don't have to be a member to participate in this. The only like regulation or rule or or requirement is simply that you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And the table's wide open. And even if you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today would be a great day to do that. Because the table completely represents everything you need in life. And, and, and so around the table, Jesus was like, you know what, this bread that you're familiar with is going to be my body that's broken. The really cool thing for me anytime that we do the, the bread is as it signifies the body, it reminds me that Jesus came to earth as a 100% man. So he felt the pain that you and I feel. He felt rejection. He felt when people didn't receive the message. It just wasn't 100% God where... There's this disconnection from the realities of the world. We can actually look at Jesus and go, he's the model for life and ministry. That's the great thing with Jesus, that he lived the way that we could live. And, and so as he held up the bread and, and grabbed the, the bread, just peel that top layer off, grab the bread. The, the, the great thing with the, the bread is, it says that this is my body which is broken for you has your name attached all over it. And so anytime that we have bread, it would be a great opportunity for you just to remember the sacrifice that Christ made. Then he he said, do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the, the bread together. God, thanks for the the sacrifice of your human body. What a What a gift it is to us. And then the, the cup in one gospel account, it says that he eagerly waited. <laughs> so after Jesus lived on the earth 33 and a half years, three years was his public ministry, and he went like this, I have eagerly waited for this moment. And he eagerly waited for this moment because it was going to flip the relationship that man had with, with God. The relationship of the Old Testament was all about sacrifice. You got to bring something. God's this distant God. 
Jesus was proclaiming at that table, this is going to be a personal, intimate, life-giving relationship that you have with God. The one that I created way back in Genesis. The one where we know that Adam and Eve, that God walked with them. And after 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, God was going to commune with his people again. And this was a huge moment. And Jesus knew it. And so Jesus said, this blood is the blood of the new covenant. This is going to be for the forgiveness, the wiping out of of sins. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Lord, thank you for the great celebration. How cool to think that my friends seated, seated in front of me. Together we have proclaimed to each other that you're a God who is alive and not dead. That you are a rescuer, a redeemer, a restorer. That because of that great sacrifice on the cross, we can do what we do today. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.